What happens when two former political staffers, one Labour and one Tory, meet? And become surprisingly good friends. Introducing the After Party Podcast. A comedy podcast about ideas, politics and truthfully an unlikely friendship. With me, Sarah Southern. And me, Chloe Green. Welcome to the After Party. Hello, welcome. How are you, Chloe? I'm very well, thanks, babe. How are you doing? Yeah, tip top, thanks. Tip top. Very good. Did you have a good week? I did. The last time we spoke, last Friday, we were both about to leg it for a train to get to Leicester Comedy Festival. How was that for you? I made the train, thank goodness. (laughs) Uh, It was really good. Really good Mm. weekend. Saw loads of shows, performed in loads of shows. I think I did about three shows every day. Uh, and then I trotted out my new Edinburgh 2020 Ooh. show on Sunday. How did it go? Well, I was a bit anxious in the morning because there'd been Storm Kiera. Is that her name? Oh. Storm Sierra. Whatever the storm was called last weekend. I thought it was Dennis. That's that the one, one coming. That's oh. tomorrow's storm. I can't keep up. No, there's too many. There's too many. Anyway, the storm last weekend, Storm Kiera, um, like swooped through Leicester mm. on Sunday morning to the point that you couldn't even hold your umbrella so it was tipping with rain <laughs> but your umbrella got blown away so I just looked like a soaked rat all day <laughs> the streets were completely empty because obviously people were like hmm should we leave the house or should we stay in where it's nice and warm mm. so I was like oh no it's going to be basically me doing this show to myself mm-hmm. but actually about 20 people came nice. which was great and it went really well I cried. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Got to, there's just this bit in the show where I totally stripped things bare, as it were, and the emotion just got the best of me. Oh. And I was like, oh, and I kind of like all these tears like got stuck just on my face. And I was like, well, I really wish I'd brought a tissue on stage. <laughs> these tears just stuck on my nose. And this lady from the audience crept up and passed me a tissue. Fucking hell, mate. I mean, you always want to like lead, leave a lasting impression on your audience. So <laughs> I'm sure you did with that. Yeah, so I think that bit's getting cut from the show. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't my intention to be a crybaby, but it did happen. So yeah. For those that aren't like super familiar with like the comedy uh, way, comedy community, this is like preview season. Yeah. This is like we are gearing up for Edinburgh 2020, baby. So that means that everyone's trying out like new work and progress shows and stuff so if you want to go and see some comedy now is a good time because it's kind of like this is going to be the most messy version of what will be a brilliant show for most comics and then you can say that you saw it first you know i like to call it the research and development stage Mm -hmm. like if you're a scientist and you were coming up with a new drug to cure I don't know, syphilis or something. Like, you wouldn't go into work on day one and not succeed and go, well, that's it. That's it. Everyone's just going to have to have syphilis for the rest of their life. You'd keep coming in to work. And that's what it's like with work in progresses. It's basically a comedian's version of research and development. It's basically trying to cure syphilis. (laughs) That's what it is. Within the show. (laughs) Within the show. We're all just trying to cure syphilis and we don't get paid for it. What's that about? Oh, yeah. Basically, it is like having syphilis then. (laughs) Uh, How was the lull word on Friday night in Leicester? Did that go well? It was so nice. I feel like we do um, a couple of like gigs in other cities of a year but because we do so many gigs in London as like a collective it can be really hard to like find the time to organize shows in cities that we don't where we don't know people and then like market it to like a totally different audience but then every time we do it really does pay off because it's such a wonderful feeling like at Leicester 
we had about 60 people in the crowd that's great which is like really good yeah for like and the venue was like yeah completely rammed we couldn't really have gotten any more lesbians through the door Sarah (laughs) but it was like so many people at the end just came up to us and were like I've never seen any comedy like this in Leicester this does not exist here thank you so much and there was just like a lot of gratitude and appreciation for like people hearing their experiences brilliant on stage in I guess in a city where yeah like queer comedy isn't necessarily something that you have access to so it was it was very special good I'm pleased it went well I'm pleased it went well um so this week has been uh interesting or at least the past 24 hours have been interesting for people like me (laughs) as I spent all day yesterday with my laptop out Mm. sky news on watching the reshuffle happen Mm -hmm. and truthfully we all thought it was going to be quite a boring reshuffle until Sajid Javid the former Chancellor of the Exchequer went into the door at number 10 and came out without a job. Mm-hmm. So I think you need to just explain quickly for people that don't know, what is a reshuffle and why is it significant? So a reshuffle is when the Prime Minister basically reallocates all the jobs. So the cabinet that we had until yesterday was the same cabinet that Boris Johnson appointed in July 2019 when he became the Prime Minister. And the reason he didn't do any reshuffle after the general election in December 2019 is because with the Brexit deadline looming on the 31st of January, He's like, what's the point of moving the chairs on the Titanic? We've just got to stick with what we've got. (laughs) So this was kind of his first opportunity, which is why people like uh, Zach Goldsmith and Nicky Morgan were elevated to the House of Lords after they'd stood down as MPs, or indeed in Zach Goldsmith's uh, case, lost their seat, because he just wanted to keep the team the same. Mm. So we knew there were going to be some changes because Nicky Morgan didn't want to remain in the cabinet. So she resigned. Um, some other people resigned. Some people got fired. So Geoffrey mm. Cox was fired as um, um, Attorney General. Uh, Esther McVeigh was Howard for, fired from her housing role. Uh, surprisingly, Julian Smith was fired as Northern Ireland Secretary, which people were surprised by because he's finally managed to get Stormont operating again mm. after three years of um, nothing going on there. Uh, but the big surprise was that the four main jobs, Prime Minister, Home Secretary, Foreign Secretary and Chancellor of the Exchequer were going to stay the same. Was, you know, Boris isn't going to reshuffle himself <laughs> and Priti Patel staying at home and Dominic Robb staying at Foreign Secretary. But Sajid Javid is no longer Chancellor of the Exchequer as... When he went and spoke to the Prime Minister, the Prime Minister basically said, yes, you're keeping your job. However, what we're going to do is you've got to fire all of your advisors because we want to have one central team that works across number 10 and number 11. And he said, no, I'm not going to be just Chancellor in name only. People on the news have been referring to that as Chino. Little acronym there for Chancellor in uh, name only, which I love the fact that people in Westminster do that. Yeah, hilarious. That's such a Tory acronym as well, isn't it? Isn't it? Uh, So he said, "No, you're all right. I'm not gonna. You know, what kind of chancellor would I be? What kind of politician would I be if I just pandered down to that? It's a separate job. We should be able to disagree privately and you know agree publicly. But I'm not doing it. So he walked away." From, and also, he's probably going to be the only Chancellor who's never delivered a budget because he's only been the mm. Chancellor since July and the budget's next month. 
Also pretty wild that a chancellor, a new chancellor is going to be in place and then have to deliver a budget within, what, 28 days? Yes. However, the person who is now the Chancellor of the Exchequer is Rishi Sunak, who is a Member of Parliament for uh, Richmond in North Yorkshire, not in South West London. And he has been... um, Secretary of the Treasury, so basically like the one below um, uh, the Chancellor of the Exchequer. So he's still kind of within the Treasury. People might know Rishi Sunak because they would have seen him on the telly during the TV debates in the general election in 2019. He was going to be tipped, he'd been tipped widely to be promoted into the Cabinet anyway. Nobody was expecting that he would be... The big job. The big job, because he's only been an MP since 2015. Wow, gosh. So that's a really quick promotion. He's basically like smashed that ceiling pretty fast. Yeah. Gosh. What do you make of Sajid Javid? I'm interested, like, as a Tory, because obviously I've got my opinions about him. Um, I like him. I think he's kind of, you know, quite centrist. I think he's a one-nation Tory. Um, Yeah, I think it's a a loss, a loss of talent from, from the front bench. But I don't think this is the last of him. I think we'll see more of him in the future because, you know, Boris isn't going to be the Prime Minister forever. Well, absolutely not. And, hope. you know, as Boris has proven, everybody's allowed a second act. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm firmly convinced that this won't be the last we see of Sajid Javid. And I think also people will have a lot of respect for him for what he's done. Mm. I think it's a shame that he has lost that role, but I can completely understand why he chose to step aside. Mm. I have, um, like, my feelings of Sajid Javid is, like, a tricky one because I'm a white person and I'm not a, like, second or third generation immigrant, so it's really, like, not my place to, like, speak to that issue. I've spoken to people who feel uncomfortable with the way that Sajid Javid speaks about immigrants and the way that he has kind of done this thing in rhetoric where it's like, look, see, you can be the son or daughter of immigrants and you can be a Tory. And it's kind of like a um, sort of, yeah, throwing throwing people under the bus a little bit. And obviously that's not my experience, so I can't speak to it. But I'm aware that there is like a tension there, which is like pretty uncomfortable. And he's not great in terms of what he says about <clears throat> like the aspirations of, of children of migrants. Yeah, I mean, I also am not the child of a migrant. Um, so I can't really speak with authority on that. I guess it must be really frustrating when you're in a specific situation and somebody who's grown up in a similar situation to you who has succeeded then turns around and goes, look, it's dead easy. Come on, just work harder. Yeah. Because there are so many factors that stop people succeeding, whether that be what's happening in their home, the type of education that they receive, uh, their mental health issues, or general health issues. So I think in some ways we do have this kind of fetishization in this country where we like to point out when people have come from something you wouldn't expect. Mm. So if someone's father or mother has been a bus driver (laughs) or whatever, they like to point it out because it wasn't... um, uh, Sadiq Khan's dad, a bus driver as well. Oh, yeah. you know, so people like wang on about that. And I'm like, I really couldn't care less what his dad did because I doubt his dad did his homework. I think he did it. So, the, you know, mm. the, the achievement is on that person rather than whatever their parents did. Uh, but yeah, no, I can understand why people find that frustrating. Mm. Because you sounded very Labour there for a second. Oh, I did I? I pause on that for one <laughs> hot second, Sarah, because you were saying that like, 
Um, it's not about, you know, like it's not fair to say, oh, if you work hard enough, you'll succeed because, you know, we all, we're all playing on this kind of level playing field. And if you just work hard enough, you'll be fine. Because that's quite a Tory mentality, right? Like in terms of like kind of traditional conservative values, it's very much like, if you work hard, you will do well. So people need to pull themselves up by the bootstraps. But you said that there were other factors, you know, like health, mental health, what's going on at home. There's lots of other factors, which is definitely like a kind of quite lefty (laughs) argument about why it might be harder for some people to... I'm sure I've said this on the podcast before, but when I worked for the Tory party in my team, I was the only person who hadn't gone to boarding school and hadn't gone to Oxbridge Mm. or, you know, one of those combinations. And I remember talking about it to a friend who is in works for an investment bank in Canary Wharf, being like, oh, these other buggers have been to Oxbridge, blah, 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 blah. And he said, oh, I have the same issue at my work. Everyone went to Oxbridge. He went to Brunel University. And whenever people are wanging on about it at work, he said, well, do you know what? I went to a lesser university than you in your eyes, but we've got exactly the same job. So who's more clever? Who's more intelligent, you know? <laughs> I mean, Brunel is hardly the bloody like yeah it's not Sunderland Polytechnic I know bottom of the pile quite but even still you know people who do go to Oxbridge do have more opportunities for sure because they've got hundreds of years of opportunity available to them you know there is a history Mm. of achievement but I do think that people should work hard if they want to achieve. So the, the Tory in me is definitely there. And, you know, I do think there are opportunities for people Thank to Thank God. I thought you. we'd lost you. <laughs> but I think sometimes there's just got to be a little bit of empathy of people's situations. Like, I always just think when I'd see kids at school get told off about something. And I think, why are you telling this kid off? Like, they live in a one-parent household... All their little brothers and sisters are their responsibility in the morning. So they've got to drop all these little kids off at, like, the other schools around the town we grew up in. They're probably knackered and it's not even nine o'clock and you're telling them off because, like, their shirt's not tucked in or they're five minutes late for school. Like, come on, give people a break. You're a fucking socialist. (laughs) Do you think so? (laughs) What is happening here? I've always thought like this. I'm just a compassionate conservative. Sorry, what? (laughs) It exists, it exists. (laughs) I'm really interested in this. I want to, like, dwell on this. I know we've got an agenda to get through, but I feel like I need to penetrate this further. Okay. Okay, so, right, let's get this straight, yeah? Because the reason that I'm Labour is fundamentally about my values and about how society works. I don't believe that pulling yourself up by the bootstraps as an approach to, you know, getting people into employment or getting people into like you know yeah kind of achieving whatever is an appropriate or in any way successful um like model of doing anything in our society because it doesn't take into consideration so many um factors of of a person's life and barriers that might be otherwise invisible do you agree to a certain degree yes I do think that there are a lot of opportunities that people could take that for whatever reason they are choosing not to. Like what? So, for example, in comedy, Mm -hmm. uh, we know lots of people who um, do other jobs, like ourselves, and some people choose to have a job that they have no interest in Mm -hmm. and despite them having a, a you know a university education mm. is perhaps um they're working in a job they're overqualified for sure because the dream of comedy succeeding 
yeah. burns brighter than anything else. Mm. So therefore, the financial pressure that is upon them mm. is greater than it perhaps needs to be. Like they've got a qualification in whatever it might be. Mm. They could pursue a career for a period of time in that. As we all know, comedy, uh, you become an overnight success after 10 years, right? <laughs> so you know what I mean? It's going to be a long time surviving mm. in likelihood. The averages are. So and that always confuses me is I just think, why are you making your life harder than it needs to be? But how can you have a career in comedy if you've also got like a very high pressure, high paid job that demands... I'm not saying high pressure, high paid. I'm saying medium entry level, decent amount of salary Mm. that would cushion a lot of the blows. Um, You know, a lot of people we know, like, you know, for example, you do, you work four days a week Mm -hmm. so that you've got a day to be creative, Mm -hmm. which as a creative you need firmly. Mm So I just think that there's other things people could do. But I also know that life isn't easy. Life doesn't always work out the way that you want it. And Mm. I guess people have got to give things a crack. And maybe they are going to become the next famous comedian next week. But like taking this back away from comedy, Mm. like, do you think it's fair to suggest that people... As, as I, th- I think I'm trying to understand what you're saying. Like, do you think that people, like, are holding themselves back in some instances? No, I don't think so. Well, no, I don't think that. I think people are maybe um, putting too much hope in things that they've got no control over. Like, let's be realistic, out of all the people, you know, just vaguely talking on comedy for a moment, a lot of the people we know who are in comedy, sadly won't be able to make a full-time living from it Mm. because that is the way the industry is set up. It's nothing to do with their talent. It's more to do with the way the industry is set up. And they could end up being 35 and waking up and going, crumbs, I've missed out on the last 10 years of building up my career because I've been hoping Mm. for something else. But then also I kind of think, well, you've got to go for your dreams. Yeah. This is veered away from what I was trying to pin you What is it you're trying to get me to say? (laughs) (laughs) What is it you want me to admit? Well, okay, so let's let's rewind. My um my mum and dad, right? Mm. They are working class people. They are very much of the mentality like pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Mm-hmm. They have the school of thought which is we've done all right. We managed to send our kids to uni. We've grafted and we are now you know going to like give our kids a much better um lifestyle and Um, way of living than we had and that's how it should be this is like a generational thing and you know they don't necessarily think that they have like benefited massively from you know benefits or working tax credits or whatever they think it's like we pulled ourselves up and therefore other people should be able to do the same if we can do it why can't others I don't think it's that black and white I think that some people have a really tough life. Like some people, like for example, yesterday I had to go to the hospital for an appointment. Uh, first off, I went to the wrong hospital, which is a bit embarrassing. I had to scurry across town to get to the right <laughs> one. I should really read things in more detail. But as I was sitting in like the waiting area, this guy came in and he could have been in his 50s, but he could also have been in his 70s. He just looked like he'd had a tough time mm. and he didn't look well. And the nurse who'd like dropped him, or the porter or whoever he was, had like dropped him off in the wheelchair and he had his notes and no word of his lie. 
his notes were like two binders, like two encyclopedias thick. Mm. And I just thought, oh God, you poor guy. Like life has not been kind to you. Mm. Like if you're in and out of hospital that much to have, like when I saw my notes, they were like a one piece of A4. Like mm-hmm. this guy's was like two encyclopedias. And I just thought, well, how on earth are you supposed to have a fulfilled working life if you've got all of these medical conditions? Mm. I don't know what they are and I don't want to speculate. But sometimes life isn't fair. Mm. And my personal belief is the the safety net of the benefit system should be there to catch us when we need it. Mm. I don't think there should be any shame in people who are on benefits. And I think also, I mean... I can understand what Ian Duncan Smith was trying to achieve with universal credit, but my God, has it been so badly delivered on Mm -hmm. so many levels to the point of such shame that I feel that it has happened. But it is really tough. Um, I had to sign on a few years ago and I could not get my head around the system at Mm -hmm. all. Mm -hmm. It was so confusing to me. And I'm someone who knows how systems work. You know, I come from um, a a job that has um, given me kind of influence over things. I'm very well educated. I know how to deal with people mm. and I could not work out how to manage getting my job seekers allowance, getting my housing benefit. Whilst I was on job seekers allowance, um, unfortunately I was admitted to hospital, changing my benefit from job seekers allowance to um, sick, whatever the sick one is, mm. was so stressful. Like the man who I had to talk to on the phone basically said, if you answer this question wrong, you will lose all of your benefits. Like, you know, you're shouted at like that. It was awful. And I was like, this can't be right. This can't be how we treat people when we need to help them. Now, I was only there for a really, really short period of time. Mm. But every time I left the job centre, I'd be in floods of tears and I'd literally ring my dad and be like, I can't continue. I can't do this anymore. It's so, so awful. Why would we treat anybody like that? That is the way of the Tory government, though, right? Like, that's austerity. That is making it very, very, very hard for people to claim benefits in the, I don't know, bizarre and I think, like, totally wrong assumption that if you make it really hard for people to claim benefits, then they won't, and they'll suddenly go out and get a job. But this is where they are wrong, because people who have been in the system for a long time know how to do the system. They They know exactly what it is that needs to be required in order to get the benefits that they need. I think, I guess if I was king of the world, what I would do in terms of giving people benefits and such like is ensuring that people who, for whatever reason, don't want to work or can't work, that they have enough money that they can live, Mm. but it probably isn't more than what the minimum wage is. Right. And then for people who actually are active, so when I was there, I was actively seeking work, trying to find it. You turn that, I guess, probably more like how it was in the 80s, where it's like a job club where you actually have, it's almost like a recruitment centre, but at different levels to get people into different types of work. Because at the moment, unfortunately, at least this was how it was when I was there, that you, the people who work in the job centre just want to get you off their books. So they don't care what kind of job they get you into. Mm as long as they're off your books. Well, there's no point putting someone who's got like a master's in, I don't know, architecture or something into a job packing shelves at Tesco's because Tesco's know that they're going to leave and the person who's doing the job will have zero job satisfaction Mm. and won't be able to pay off their student loan. So Mm. like you've got to get people into the right kind of jobs. And I think this is where I have been most frustrated with the Tory government over the last 10 years is the way that we have dealt with that and seeing it as... 
I guess a, a believing people are lazy, believing people just want to get free money. I don't believe that's the case. I think there are some cases of that where people are perhaps long-term unemployed and the thought of having a job is so far removed from their experience now, unfortunately. Mm. But I can't see a quick fix in that situation. But change has got to come because it, from my point of view, is immoral the way that universal credit has been implemented and that we've allowed people to... um, go for such long periods without money and I guess that has been one of the main reasons that I questioned whether I could still vote Tory anymore. Mm, But you did. I did, I did, mainly because all of the horrible messages I kept reading on social media telling me that I was, um, I'm not going to use the word, but a word that rhymes with runt um, (laughs) and Tory scum and to be honest all it did was instead of having me in the middle ground deciding what I was going to do, all it did was make me hunger down. So I don't think aggression towards people who think differently to you is a way of winning the argument. All it makes them go is, right, fine, well, if that's how you behave, I'm going to go back to my side mm. because it's safer there. And Yeah, I take that point. Do you think, though, that like there's a responsibility that you have for yourself? Like, ignore the Twitter trolls, ignore the like assholes, because they exist everywhere in life and they exist on both sides. Yeah. But... If you can't, like, if you can't negotiate in your own mind the, like, what you described as immoral actions of the Tory government, it's up to you to choose not to vote for them, right? Yes, but I know that I can change things if I'm involved within the party. If I walk away, then there's going to be no reasoned and sensible people. Um, I've never been involved in a faction within the party. Um, Not that there are big factions like there is in the Labour Party and the Tories. Mm. But, you know, you have like the ERG and what used to be Conservative way forward, so kind of the more um, more to the right side of the party. And then you have things like the Tory Reform Group, which is more to the centre. Um, and earlier in the summer, I joined the, the TRG with my frustration. I was like, what can I do to illustrate mm. where I think the party should be? Because I personally think the party should be more back to the centre. Mm. The only way I can do that is by remaining involved and um, kind of putting my mark Mm. where I'd like the party to be. That makes sense. I think, like, people like David Cameron, who certainly thought of themselves as being, like, centrist, um, and certainly, like, you know, socially more liberal, like, by passing, you know, like, equal marriage and things Mm. like that, even though that was passed overwhelmingly by Labour votes, just saying. Yeah, I know, and things like that disappoint me about the party. And it's, you know how complicated it is to have a relationship with a political party. And, Mm -hmm. like, I think we've talked about this before. It's like having... um, a bad partner you know you still love them but you can't leave them you know it's 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 a really strange dynamic and you remember the good times you do remember the good times so you're like it can be better <laughs> yeah. but if someone like david cameron right who is like yeah thought of more typically as like a social you know like quite socially progressive socially liberal and like centrist whatever if if he put in place things like you know austerity politics like he was he and George Osborne were the architect of that they brought this in in 2010 you know as part of the coalition and then continued how can you how can you reconcile that like if they're centrists supposedly which more fits your view but they were the architects for the most sweeping austerity politics that you know our country has seen in modern times which has literally caused people to become destitute homeless even suicidal and 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 dead like how how can you reconcile that it is a difficult one i can't say that it's easy but i 
I can understand why they went for the austerity measures because the country had no money for various reasons. And I think now I would imagine it'd be actually it'd be really interesting to hear what Cameron and Osborne think of whether that was the right thing to do because I don't think they've pushed the debt down, have they? No. Absolutely so not. So it's all been a total waste of bloody time. Austerity, in my view, is ideological. It's not pragmatic mm. or economically sound because with austerity, of course, the amount of strain that you get on services which have been deprived of money just means that people who require those services don't get the help that they need in time and then it becomes more problematic you know Mm. like if there were youth services you could lower the amount of knife crime if there were youth services you could lower the amount of youth homelessness do you see what i mean it's like it's not as simple as that i think this is the problem with well certainly why a lot of us were in political exile about a year ago in that our parties do things that we fundamentally disagree with but unfortunately the political party you choose, there's lots of factors that take you to it. Mm. And if you've been involved with a party for a long time, it's so within you. You know, you said the other week you mm. you bleed red, you know. <laughs> I mean, as we all do. As we all do, but I think yours are in the shape of little roses, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we we do, and I bleed teeny tiny Margaret Thatcher's, you know. And it, it's a hunting. I know, really do need to see someone about that. <laughs> Uh, and it is there, you know, in the same way that I'm sure that you were questioned a lot in the run-up to the election, like how can you still vote for Labour mm. with all of the anti-Semitism that is within the party? Mm. And it sounds like that's still not 100% dealt with from the uh, leadership um, thing I watched on Victoria Derbyshire yesterday. Mm. So I think it, it is a very complex thing, and this is why people don't always vote with their heads, they vote with their hearts. I think who you support often can be very emotional Mm. rather than, I was going to say thought-driven, but that isn't quite what I mean because I think there is a lot of thought into it, but some of it is a really emotive Mm. state and it's difficult. And, do you know, I have been distant from the party for some time. For me, the jury's still out on what kind of Prime Minister Boris is going to be. Mm. I'm optimistic at times that he will pick up his One Nation roots and bring us back to the centre. And if he doesn't, I guess again, then I'll have to really question. But again, where who else am I going to vote for? Mm. It's a really tough one. It's a really tough one. And I would imagine one that we will come back to many, many times. Yeah, we need to put a pin in this conversation because I, I, need, I need to know more. You like, do? I need... Okay, well, we will deep dive on each other's beliefs <laughs> further. And I don't want it to be the case that, um, you know, because I'm Labour, it's assumed that I have, like, the moral authority and it's my job to, like, hound you for, yeah. like, why you vote Tory because you need to hold me to account for why I vote Labour, Absolutely. I think, as well. Absolutely. Like, it can't, it can't just be that this is a, a relationship <laughs> where it's like, well, obviously I'm right, yeah. Why are you wrong? But it's amazing really... how many people do think that uh, and how people kind of say, I need you to tell me why it is that you do this. And I'm like, well, I need to know why it is that you do everything you do. You know, it's, it's, we all have different, you know, belief systems for various different reasons. Yeah. But yeah, let's put a pin in that one. I, I'm coming back to this. Okay, well, you put that on your list. Put that <laughs> Listeners, on your list. <laughs> be patient. Now, uh, yes, yeah, so obviously we've had the reshuffle this week. Have people been doing nice things? I think it's time that we looked across the aisle. Okay. I'm going to start us off with an obvious one. Sajid Javid, 
not my cup of tea, not my kind of politician, not my kind of Tory, if that <laughs> even exists. But, I thought I was your kind of Tory. Yeah, you're my kind. You and my mum. My only, my only Tory. Very exclusive group. <laughs> oh, deeply. You should feel very honest. Oh, I do, I do. But um, I think Sajid Javid, like, fair play to him because he quit knowing that if he remained in post, he would have to sack his entire team, which is, I mean, a completely, like impossible position to be put in you keep your job but you have to fire everybody who supported you for x number of months um and that's a that's a horrible position so fair play for stepping down and saying i'll i'll go down with my ship um you know which is which is certainly like a you know a huge sacrifice for himself like that's income and power and influence that he no longer will have so yeah sajid and potentially the end of his political career i don't think so but you know Mm. potentially well uh, my uh, shout out across the aisle is not to a politician and isn't even someone who potentially sits on the other side of the aisle but it's the comedian Catherine Ryan oh because she hosted the NME Awards this week and there was a rapper whose name I believe to be Slow Tie, who was awarded have I said that like someone who's 100 I just like okay boomer okay <laughs> not a boomer I know you're not but you know I'd never heard of this young man until yesterday this young man this young man anyway he were, had performed I think he'd even opened the enemy uh, awards at the Brixton Academy and he was also awarded hero of the year and Catherine Ryan was hosting and they'd been having like a little bit of a back and forward all evening and she was kind of you know teasing him and such like anyway when he came to collect the award he got like a little bit too in her face and was saying some reasonably sexually provocative things but this had been after Catherine and him had been having a tease all mm. evening so she was firmly in control mm. and like kind of almost in charge of the joke and then someone shouted something out from the audience during his speech to which his response was to shout at them throw his microphone at them they then threw his microphone back at him he then took his champagne glass and threw it into the audience then jumped into the audience to have a fight with said audience member uh Catherine Ryan tried to like disarm it all the security then took him off Obviously, everyone on them went crazy. Mm. Catherine Wine was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I was in charge. You had to go at me because I'm a comic, not because I'm a woman. Everybody chill out. I knew exactly what I was doing. I was in charge from the second he opened his mouth. I know how to deal with hecklers. And then he obviously apologised, saying, oh, my God, enemy, please give my award to Catherine. She's clearly the hero of the year. Mm. I've behaved appallingly. God, I'm so ashamed. And she was like, don't worry about it. We all have bad days. No, like, problem on my behalf. It's all good. Mm. And I just think, Catherine Ryan, you absolute babe. Like, you're so classy. Like, you knew exactly what you were doing. You're not allowing all these people to just load on hate to this guy. I'm sure he feels absolutely appalling by what's happened. But she's willing to forgive and also support this guy and be like, look, come on. A bad day on social media will pass. Don't worry. I mean, he did grope her. I don't... Well, they were in an embrace... But I don't know whether he groped her. I feel like she was like overly generous to him because yeah, he they, was. But they've very been having sexist. a te- yeah. But they've been having a tease all night. She was like, "Yeah, of course, of course, I want you. That's why uh, I'm able to buy my own house without a man." Like, mm. I think what we've seen is a really edited version of what happened. Mm. Whereas my understanding is throughout the whole evening, 
there was this back and forth. It was between a bit more balanced. Yeah, yeah, like I think one time we'd like spoken up something and she was like, oh, get, you know, get back in your seat. Yeah, of course I want you. Yeah, of course I want your cock. Yeah, like kind of okay. in a really sarcastic way. Yeah. Um, and she was like, I was in control all that time. Mm. Nobody needs to be putting um, their view into what the reality of the situation is. Okay, fair play. Yeah. So like, I just think, you know, kudos to you, Catherine Ryan, for like owning the situation knowing exactly how to deal with that kind of weird situation, but also not allowing this guy to get totally cancelled for being a drunken twat at the Enemy Awards. Yeah. People have done worse at the Enemy Awards. I'm sure, well, I can only... I mean, he was smoking inside the building. I mean... Bloody hell. That was outlawed by Tony Blair. Thank (laughs) you very much. Appalling, appalling. Right, I think we should... uh, Let's wrap up. Go and have some lunch. Um, Well, look, we hope to see everybody next week. Have a lovely week. Yeah, thanks for tuning in. Take care. See you soon. Bye. Bye.